the Novice Nurse Podcast, where I'll be talking with new and seasoned nurses about the transition, challenges, and successes of being a registered nurse. I'm your host, Amanda Addis, professor at Mid-American Nazarene University and a nurse for the last 14 years. Today we have Maddie Ellison, a registered nurse for about one year. She's going to talk to us about her job starting out in the emergency room and now transitioning into the NICU. I'm excited for you guys to hear our conversation. Let's go. day your day off so can you tell me just a little bit of background on why you chose to become a nurse maybe a little bit of your journey so far from when you finished school or um, what that's looked like I feel like my wanting to become a nurse was kind of a slow evolution because I started in kinesiology and graduated with that thinking that I wanted to do physical therapy or occupational therapy. I think I got to like the last semester maybe of that and decided that really wasn't what I wanted to do, but I was so close to graduating and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I just went with kinesiology. Yeah. I worked for a few years after that, kind of looked around at different fields that were similar, still kind of with that kinesiology background, still kind of played around with the occupational therapy, looked at nursing, put it on hold because I had my first baby, but it was kind of through having him and then friends who were having babies and then just other family members that were hospitalized that I started kind of thinking of nursing and how important that that nurse is in the care that they're giving, whether it's like a happy thing, like having a baby, or if it's a little bit more, you know, upsetting in terms of their, you know, home health or hospice care and stuff like that. Yeah. The process of getting there was a little slow because I wasn't really ready to jump right into it. I had a few prereqs that I had to fill back out. Well, that's a really big commitment with a family and a child yeah. and trying to think like, how am I going to mix all that together? Right. And we were still living in Texas at the time. We were deciding to move back to Kansas. So that kind of got waited too, because I needed to wait till I got where we were to see where I could even apply to nursing school. Started to apply, got pregnant with my second baby <laughs> and then decided like, well, I guess I'll just do the traditional program and just start anyways after she's born. That way, if she's a hard baby, it's not quite as stressful as like an accelerator program. Yeah. And then that, how I kind of went there. Did you have like a field of nursing that you were interested in when you first started out in nursing school? Kind of. I guess I really, the labor and delivery in the NICU kind of stuff, even when I started. I liked cardiac, but I didn't really know a whole lot about it, but I was still pretty open. I just, it was kind of, I didn't have like a huge exposure to the different areas of nursing. Yeah, I just moved somewhere in there is what I thought I wanted. But again, I was just really kind of open too. And I think a lot of kind of newer moms that come back to nursing, OB is a huge influence on them because that's mm-hmm. their firsthand experience. And so I think when they come in, it's like, ooh, that's what's drawing me in. And then they get in and they're like, ooh, I like all these other things too. So yeah, that's probably pretty accurate is I think it was kind of like, well, I like this and I guess we'll see what I think. And but I still definitely was open to everything at yeah. the time. Tell the other students that are listening, when did you graduate? What did your first job look like? Are you still there? You know, what's that process? So I, what year did I graduate? 2019, just last year? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, yeah. This last year has been so strange. Um, 
So I ended up in the ER at Shawnee Mission or Advent Health now on their main campus. That was kind of a, I was a little late to applying for jobs at the time. After clinical, I'd kind of pretty much set, decided I didn't really like adult care and I didn't really like the floor. So I needed anything besides that. Yeah. ER I did like, like, yes, it was adults, but it was fast. It was fast paced. You didn't have the patience for very long and it just kept you busy. I don't know. There was just something about the floor that I knew I did not like. So I applied. I got it. I am not still there. Yeah. I just recently left because while I did like a lot of the stuff that I was doing and I did enjoy how much I learned because you are exposed to a little bit of everything there. You don't get like real in depth with a lot of it, but because by the time the patient needs that in-depth care, they've been admitted or if they didn't need it, they were sent home on their way. So I did like that. I liked the exposure, but with now three little kids at home, the pace was a little too much. It was hectic at work. Advent um, ER is the busiest in the metro area. Mm -hmm. Uh, I worked night. I left chaos and came home to chaos. It was stressful. (laughs) And I also decided that I really, really don't like adults in most forms. <laughs> so I, somebody I graduated with, she works in the NICU at St. Luke's on the Plaza. I had texted her as I was thinking of starting to apply and she was like, we're actually hiring like a whole bunch of nurses because we're so, so busy. And then I was like, okay, I'll think about it. I went to work that night, got kicked by a patient and applied the next day. <laughs> your load is different. I feel like your load in the NICU can at times be so much more of an emotional load. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, there are a lot of really difficult babies that are hard to manage and you're really having to critically think through what's going on with them, you know, but the emotions of that, I mean, there's emotional stuff in the ED too, but you at Advent Health, it wasn't as many traumas as what you would get at, you know, some of our bigger hospitals. Yes, they're very yeah. busy ED, but they're not yeah. the level. So I guess no. I'm thinking... It's going to, so how long have you been at, at the NICU? Um, just a month now. Okay. I know that within your first year, you know, you've had the job change. You guys have experienced a pandemic and still kind of in the middle of that with a lot of uncertainty at this point, because, you know, we're here at the end of June and we're seeing numbers kind of creep back up again. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about changing jobs within that first year? Did you feel guilty doing that? Or did you feel like there's lots of nursing jobs out there? It's fine. Mixed um, bag of emotions. Yeah, I'd say both. Like a little bit of everything. Even just like the different tolls that the NICU have versus like an ER. With like the emotional exhaustion. the um, Or it's like physical and all of that stuff. Like mm-hmm. was kind of what stop me from feeling super guilty about leaving the ER Yeah, because especially being a new nurse, like you already, like you don't know anything really in terms of what it's actually like being a nurse. You just know what you learned in nursing school. Right. Having all of that emotion, having the emotions that come with being in the ER, because like you said, like Advent isn't a trauma center, but it is still even compared to the trauma centers, it's still the busiest one. And the emotions come more from just difficult patients. And then the added stress of it's sometimes hard to keep that from transferring to your coworkers. Yeah. So then there's that aspect. And then because it was so busy, there was never time to really sit down. It's like 
you have four patients in your room, go. The second you walk in the door, there is no reviewing anything for anybody. It's just, you go in there, you do their IV, their lab, their line, you get their story. And the goal is, is I want you in and out in 10 minutes. That's your goal. And you're just like, it'll take me 10 minutes to find a vein as a new yeah, nurse, let alone nurse. do everything else. Yeah. You guys kind of hit the ground running there in the ED. So then you throw the pandemic in there. And in a weird way for us in the ER, it was actually kind of nice because it did slow the pace down yeah. because people started realizing, oh, this isn't really an emergency. I don't need to go. Yeah. Um, They're more apt to maybe just do some telehealth versus coming in for everything. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of like it made them think about the fact that it's like they really don't need to go to the ER for some of the things. Minor things. Yeah. <laughs> for their stomach ache, for their diarrhea, for their things that are for primary care or urgent care, like yeah. perfectly acceptable for those. It made things a lot different, especially with how we handled patients and their family members because they were no longer allowed back oh, yeah. with the patients unless it was a super critical, unstable patient. Nobody's really experienced it. There was a few of the older nurses on the brink of retirement that have gone through similar, but not to this stage. Yeah. And it was kind of also being in the ER, especially since COVID hit with flu season mm -hmm. and seeing these people come in before COVID supposedly got to Kansas and realizing that these people came in with severe flu-like symptoms, but they were negative for the flu. And then being able to go back and look at the timelines, look at like some of the ones that did get admitted and did pass away from this mysterious flu-like thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, light bulb. It just makes us have a much different view on it than some of the other nurses in other departments, especially going then to the NICU and deciding to change. Like the guilt of changing and leaving my coworkers like in the midst of COVID made me feel bad because I liked my coworkers. They were already yeah. short staffed. It was already difficult. And it was at that time where we were seeing the decline, we were kind of balancing out. So people were starting to come back into the ER for minor things again. The pace was starting to mm -hmm. pick back up, but we didn't have the staffing to make it like comfortable. But again, thinking of all the emotional and yeah. physical and, and just all that stress that comes with the ER is like my mental health, my family health is it's just more important. Yeah, I think that's really important to realize that yes, we're in nursing, we're part of this team, but ultimately you do have to do what feels good for you and where you can go home and kind of live your normal life and not be inundated with feeling burnout or stress from your work because your work is not your life, you know, mm -hmm. so... You want to make sure your husband, your kids, your dogs, you know, whatever that, that other person or animal, you know, is in your life that you're not losing part of yourself at work. So you're not coming back, you know, whole and able to function day to day. Exactly. And I think that was kind of a, that was a big thing for me. It's like when I was going to work and was thinking of making the switch, it was like, I realized I go to work and I don't want to go. There's it it wasn't your passion. I wanna take, yeah. Like there was people that came in and I wanted to take care of them. They were sick. They were scared. They maybe weren't actually sick, but because of their history, that little chest discomfort that they weren't sure about, it made them nervous. Like I liked caring for them. It was the ones that came in knowing they were fine, just wanted meds, just were saying that they were having this issue. And it's like, it's too late. Like it's not blood. We 100% know it's not real. And all the things that I didn't like, outweigh what I liked. And yeah. It definitely takes different types of nurses to fulfill different roles. And I think within your first few years of nursing, you kind of figure out 
where your personality falls with the different types of nurses we need. Exactly. I'm sure there are nurses that have been at Advent Health in the ED or Olathen the ED or even KU or Truman that have been there, you know, as lifers. They've been there the whole time and they love it. Yeah, there are. And they, they do. They love it. It's what yeah. they like. Um, they, we still got a lot of kids because Shawnee Mission used to have a peds department. And so we got a lot of kids and babies that would come in and you'd see the nurse pop up like, I don't want to do it with the baby. I don't want to do it. Yeah. I was like, I'll do it. Yeah. yeah, that was me on our med surge floor because I worked on a mixed med surge floor. And so yeah. we would take some peds patients and they would be like, oh no, there's a six-year-old coming with blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I didn't necessarily want to deal with the parents, but I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. I'll go poke the Even baby. the parents to me, I felt like, oh, it's kind of fun because you get to teach them. And, you know. Yeah. And that's exactly, that was actually an interview question in the NICU. Oh, it's, like, cool. it's, fun to, it's fun to teach the parents when they have this little three-week-old baby. It just wasn't my passion and being there and seeing the kids and it was just kind of like all it did was to find like I just need babies. Yeah so the rest of our uh, kind of discussion or chat here is going to center around communication and I really like that you have kind of the mixed bag of the ER for about a year mm -hmm. and then you have your NICU for about a month and I'm sure you could tell us some major differences between report, you know, in those two areas. So let's talk about ED, because I do feel like we have a ton of students that are always really interested in going into the emergency room. Right, so what does a good report look like in the ED? Do you guys do bedside ever? Are there, is it just vary per nurse? It does vary a little bit per nurse. Technically are supposed to do bedside report, but that, does not happen very often actually mostly because of time and staffing like we just yeah. don't have it especially when you get on and there's 30 to 40 people in the waiting room and there's a three-hour wait like I'm not I think I just want it fast yeah so that's like what the best report is in the ER is fast you want to know why they're here what they've done so far for the patient if they're waiting for anything slash the plan yeah and then what doc is seeing them you don't really care about their past history unless it's pertinent to the reason why they're there. If they're there for abdominal pain and they have a history of diverticulitis or Crohn's or bowel obstructions or anything like that, then yeah, you wanna know about that history. If they're there for foot pain because they fell off a ladder and twisted it really bad and it looks like it's broken or sprained, we don't care that they have a history of asthma if they're not complaining of any kind of breathing difficulties. Yeah, and you're not giving each other full head to toe reports like alert and oriented times four and clear lung sounds if they're there for a rolled ankle. Exactly. Like, the only reason you care about if they're alert and oriented is if they are over a certain age, because yeah. if they're there for an old, a rolled ankle and they're 95, you want to know if you're going to go in there and they don't have a clue what's going on. So what I'm hearing is you definitely just need relevant data there in the yeah. ED. Was that hard at first to figure out what was relevant and what wasn't? Yes and no. For me, not so much because just my personality in general, I don't care about the flowery details. Like, mm -hmm. If you want to tell me something, I'm going to listen to your story. Like, I just want to know what I need to know to go forward. Yeah. That's all I care about. It was a little bit hard to figure out what exactly was relevant, especially in terms of the history. Like how much history do I need to know? How much history do I care about? How much history do I need to give the floor? Right. Yeah. And they want to know more. 
Exactly. And the assessment part, especially coming as a new nurse, was different because in nursing school, you're taught that full head to toe assessment, mm -hmm. which happens on admission to the floor. If a new nurse is taking care of that patient, they'll still do it, but it's not as full head to toe. And if you're in the ER, they're there it's for focused. their, yeah, it's like if they're there for their abdominal pain, you don't care if they have a sore on their butt, if they didn't mention it. Yeah. And you didn't actually see it. You're not asking them to take their clothes off and look at their skin. You're I think what's important though is you, the floor nurse will do that exactly. because you are there and I don't want, the, this may sound offensive and I don't want it to sound offensive at all, but the ER is almost like a bandage station. Like oh, exactly. They come in, you fix the issue for the moment and, and maybe they go off to surgery, you know, and that's different. But for the most part, you know, 80% of your patients, they're going to come in, you're going to fix it, and then you're going to give a report to the floor. And it really does fall onto the shoulders of that floor nurse to do that thorough head to toe. Because I can assume as a med surgeon nurse on the floor that you didn't do that. And that's just how it is. And mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't expect the ER nurse to have done a full head to toe assessment. Now, if they come in with chest pain, I do expect an EKG to be done, and I do expect them to have two lines. You know, there are expectations coming up from the emergency room, but I, I still don't expect a full skin assessment. That's silly. Like, I want you to focus on that problem, not all the other things. And I exactly. think that's where there's a big difference there. I think it does nurses a lot of good with perspective to maybe go work a day in one of those units, maybe not as like the full-fledged nurse because that wouldn't be very comfortable, but to at least go, you know, get their feet wet a little bit on what that's like because then they understand what reports exactly. are like coming from each unit. And I even think the same thing like from med surge to ICU. You almost go back down. I mean, yes, you give a full report, but they also just want to know why are we transferring back to the ICU? because you know some sort of crisis is happening or their health is deteriorating they want to know more information about that not i mean yeah they want to know if they have a sore on on their coccyx but they also like that's not the highlight of of the report exactly i think giving report to the icu even from the er perspective is both the easiest and the hardest yeah. because they've already done the background because they don't expect you to they don't care about their skin because they're going to do a full head to toe assessment. And, and the hard part is, is because they've already looked into details and all that. And if you don't know the answer, it's like, <laughs> are you even a nurse? Yeah, they start asking you questions and you're like, oh my gosh. Oh. Like, I don't know, but it is. And we talk, even on the, like on the floor, it's like the floor doesn't understand the busyness of the ER. Just like the ER doesn't necessarily understand the diff because they're different types of busy. Yeah. Um, yeah. How has report in the NICU been different than report in the ED? I have no idea how to give report in the NICU. I have tried and I am so bad at it because it is so much more in depth. And I'm just yeah. like, and if it's a night nurse, since I am on day's orientation that I haven't like met yet, I'm just like, like they ask, like, are you new? I'm like, no, but I came from the ED. So we don't really like our reports are like two minutes long. So bear with me here. Yeah. And it's on like, it's a different computer system. So I'm trying to like find what I need to actually tell them because I don't know what I actually need to tell them. And I don't even know where to find it. Right. So it is, it's different. It's like, you have to, 
in some ways I would assume it's similar to the floor report. Mm -hmm. um, for adults, it's just babies don't have the extensive history. Right. But then you also have to kind of think of like, well, crap, what was mom's history? Why were they born at 22 weeks or 24 weeks? Or is it, are they just growers and feeders or did they start here? Like now they're grower and feeder, but they started when they were 24 weeks. Yeah. Maybe they and, do have an extensive history. <laughs> exactly. And it's like, has the nurse had them recently? Have they not had them recently? What are the standing orders for the night shift that they're going to have to do? What are some of the orders for the morning shift? And on the off chance that the day shift nurse has never had that baby. Right. What is the social situation? Are their families involved? Are they not involved? Do they need extra help? So it's just, it's so different. It's, you do have to give that whole head to toe and you do have to worry about their skin, especially babies, oh, yeah. especially preterm babies. When you do your assessment on the baby, it is a head to toe assessment, but it's definitely still different than an adult. And it's just, then you have to worry about feeding orders because that's totally different. Like, what are they getting? Are their feeding orders going to change in the middle of the night? And you have to make sure that the night nurse knows that. Yeah, it seems pretty intense. Do you guys have a flow sheet or something that you use with report so you're not forgetting pieces? I mean, they have the report sheet that they fill out, and but everybody has a slightly different one just based on what they like to write down and how they like to organize it. They use Epic at St. Luke's and they have the NICU Cardex and it does have a little bit of all that. They're like, yeah, we go to the Cardex for most of the history and for most of the report. You just kind of read through it. That's what you use as your like flow and your guide. Mm -hmm. And then you just show them the orders and you show them the feedings that you gave um, so that they know that the baby ate. Yeah. And so that's what you use to base your report on. It doesn't always include all the social stuff or all the like past procedures or anything like that, that the baby might have. Um, if the previous nurses didn't go in and like free text those things in there. So you're seeing there is a standardized way of doing it, but every nurse mm -hmm. kind of interprets that standardized way a little differently. Do you feel like that's helping to minimize risks or do you feel like there are more opportunities for a potential error? I feel like for the most part, it minimizes it just because there are enough like checks and balances in place in terms mm -hmm. of what has to be charted and what doesn't have to be charted. So it's like, yes, nurses can personalize it to what works best for them, but unless they're just flat out negligent, certain things have to be there. Yeah. So all so, the pertinent pieces are there. They're just adding in their own things. So even if you got just the pertinent pieces, without any of the additions, you would have what you need. Yeah, that's more there to be quick access. It's easier, you don't have to go back and look in the chart from a month ago mm -hmm. or three weeks ago or however long. So some of the babies that were there for months, they, did they have their car seat test? I don't know, go look back two months ago. Or, oh look, it's right there. It says two months ago they had their car seat test and they failed or passed. Do they yeah. need to do it again? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, more of it it's like it's always there it's just is it super easy to find because the nurse put it here or did they not put it there like it's just in the church somewhere that you have to kind of hunt for okay so we've talked a little bit about like nurse to nurse report nurse to nurse communication and I I would imagine in a NICU it's fairly easy to find other nurses to ask questions to it's not they're not hiding anywhere because everybody's kind you know it's yeah super easy to find what about in the emergency room when you needed some help or you needed something? How did you get other nurses? Because sometimes you can walk out to the nurse's station and there's not a soul out there. Exactly. Busy. Yeah. Um, 
how how did you communicate with the nurses on your shift to kind of you know when you needed things or that type of thing so every nurse have a phone some of the different hospitals have better ways of communicating through those some of them have iphones that have messaging system they chose mm -hmm. to put on their phones that they can text and call and do all that stuff and the person's just like listed there and they just have to find the name boom there it is advent still had the typical chunky nokia phone kind of mm -hmm. looking things when you got on shift you picked up the pod phone and looked at the back and that was the number for that shift yeah so that was that makes it hard to find people if there isn't somebody right there at the nurse's station because it's like crap what phone do they have i don't remember it's like, well, they're in B, like they're assigned to B4. So let me just try to call the B4 phone and hopefully they have it on them and can answer it. And we were pretty bad about a lot of us would leave them our phones at the desk. COVID, it made things even worse because the last thing you wanted to do was have to take all your stuff off, leave, put it back on for like, because you forgot one thing. So you yeah. kind of just like stand at the glass door and like, hello. <laughs> so that was some fun. Because I can't bring it in here. Yeah. So I was like, there was some trial and error with that. And they did end up finding a way to navigate that. It was hard if you needed something in the ER and there was nobody there. Because if they didn't carry their phone, the only thing you could really do was wander around and look in rooms. Yeah. Like, say, at least like on the floor in the NICU it is. It's because of the better phone systems. You can just find their name and click. Yeah. And, and the text. quick text. Yeah, yeah, those iPhones are super nice to have. It's pretty intuitive, you know, you just kind of click on your doctor's name. Do you send a lot of text messages or is it still more phone calls or what does that look like with communication it's, with physicians? It's both. If it's not urgent, it's just something that they need updated on. It's just a text. If it's urgent or critical, then you call. Usually if you're texting the physician something, it's this is the result for 22. Yeah. And that's it. I know. Yeah. So super easy to communicate with your doctors and with your nurses. I love to see kind of that update in the communications from, you know, the other phones to now the iPhones. And I guess it wouldn't have to be iPhone, just like a smartphone. But I think Apple yeah. has the corner on the market there. I'm guessing probably what's holding other hospitals back are the cost. You know, exactly. And I think there. Advent's plan was to go to the iPhones, but who knows now everything. Um, most hospitals yeah. aren't making the money that they were before with all the elective stuff, especially when everything elective was shut down. Um, yeah. But yeah, so if we had, we did actually uh, have a situation in the ER where we needed to let the physician know what the cheetah results were for a patient. Mm -hmm. And it really just has to do with how well their body is displacing fluids. And uh, they were getting ready to leave, but they were on call. So they wanted just a picture of the results or text them the results. And it's like, well, I can't text with these phones. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, we can take a picture of the screen and send it to the physician on his personal phone with our personal phone. Let's make sure there's absolutely nothing on the screen that says the patient's name. But it was, it's like, we were both very nervous and we looked at everything. There was absolutely nothing besides numbers and results on the screen. And yeah. we put it real close. So that's all that showed. No, that's and good. There wasn't anything about the room. There wasn't anything about the patient's birthday that it was a male or a female. Nothing. Yeah. So, we're like, so that's, hey. I mean, that's good. It's just kind of nerve wracking. I would it was, think. it was a little stressful until we're like, yep, we're not missing anything. Yeah. And it, it was one of those things where it's like, it was pretty important. So one final kind of discussion on communication is you've been in obviously the emergency room and now the NICU and I'm sure discharge planning and discharge teaching. It's so pertinent in both areas. How did yes. your discharge teaching differ from each area? 
the amount of time that you spend on it for sure how in depth you go and how much but how much you're willing to invest in the discharge planning right because if you've given these same discharge orders to the same patient six times already yeah exactly um and if it's something that they kind of know about then they're not gonna sit there and read through it you're gonna point out what's important you're gonna say like hey this is why you're here this is a that these are the tests that we did if you want results you have to call mm-hmm. because we can't put that on your paper you're going to sign this here's just some basic information on diverticulitis which we think you have yeah. and here's diet recommendations how you can avoid it yeah and i think you're probably pretty pressured to get through each patient fairly quickly exactly yes because there's you know, you're giving them once again pertinent information and making sure they at least have every bit of it on the paperwork so they can read through that later and kind of exactly. highlight and pointing things out to them. Yeah, um, it's more of a point out where they can find it. Let them know, like, here's who you need to follow up with. Call on your own. Yeah. Any questions? I'm, Bye. I'm definitely a more med surgeon nurse at heart, and I think that discharge teaching in the NICU would come more naturally to me than discharge teaching in the ED. Because Probably. I feel like if you're in the NICU or in a med surge situation, you're doing your discharge teaching a lot, like as you go. Yeah. Like, exactly. Let's talk about what car seat safety looks like. You know, we're doing our yes. first test. Let's talk about safety, where this need, where the buckles need to hit on them, and you know, all of those important things. Exactly. And that's exactly right. It starts at the beginning based on eventually, hopefully, the baby goes home. Right. And they need to know this and stuff might change along the way, but we're going to educate you while you're, while you're here. And as we go, and it is, it's like, oh, they're going to be discharged tomorrow. Let's make sure that their discharge planning or their education has already been touched. Well, and I think most of the time in the NICU, when you pull up kind of their discharge teaching and the things that they need to know, whether it's been marked off or not, I'm guessing a lot of people have, a lot of nurses have already provided education in those areas. Maybe they just didn't go back and mark it off. Exactly. We do double check. It's like, even if it has been marked up and it's like, this shows that you've gone over this. Did you have any other questions? Do we need to kind of briefly go over it again? All that stuff. And then did another nurse tell you that, yes, mom has been taught how to prepare formula or fortified breast milk, whatever it is. And she has taught it back to me and she has done it herself and showed us that she can prepare it correctly. And if baby has feeding issues, for example, she can feed the baby. Or if the baby has to go home on oxygen, the people who supply that have already been in and showed mom how to use it. She passed, she had to go, or they go, yeah, she's coming up, going home on oxygen. Cherub came home and set it up or came by and set it up, but you're gonna have to call him again because mom wasn't here when they did it and said she was like those kind of things. Yeah. So it is a lot. Following up and double checking with all of that because they are going home with maybe a fragile situation, you know, with with their baby. Because even when, uh, like the discharge planning is always in mind, it doesn't necessarily start right away because if a baby's born at 24 weeks, you don't have a clue what they're going to end up with when they go home. But once you start to get close to that point, that's when it all really starts. Okay, so final question. We've made it here to the end. I've been asking each of the nurses that I get the privilege to talk to this question. What are three things that you wish you would have known when you first started your career in nursing? I would say one is just how gray nursing and healthcare actually is. Mm -hmm. In nursing school, it's black and white. 
you get out there, it's like, new but not black and white you tell the physician and they don't care and it's like shouldn't you care no i don't care tell another physician the same thing oh my god we have to fix this why wasn't this fixed even in the nurses and then just how you're taught this is what their blood pressure should be this is what's acceptable and then even in the er blood pressure is 160 over 95 we don't care give report to the floor because they're getting admitted for something have you guys treated that blood pressure (laughs) below 200 it's fine they're stable so there's just a lot of gray areas another big thing kind of goes along with what um, we're dealing with in society right now is the racial prejudices i know they're they've existed i'm not sheltered i guess um naive like i've been out there i've seen it already like long before i was ever a nurse but just how much that actually does affect care it's like you might know it but until you actually see it firsthanded it's just like that's pretty sucky like yeah even in the different areas in the NICU how people respond to whether or not a baby black or white or if the family speaks English or not in the ER if the patient's black or white speaks do they speak English are they affluent or do they smell like dirt because they haven't bathed in a week are they homeless are they mentally unstable how much care like true care there actually is based on a lot of different factors and it's like, you, you know, it's there, but you don't actually in nursing school, you don't really get exposed to just how there it is and how much it does affect your care that you give and how aware you even need to be of yourself. Because yeah. I think a big thing right now that's being talked about is like, how prejudiced are you in anything, whether it's race, religion, whatever. And it's like, oh, I'm not. And then you realize that like, oh, I do have these biases. How can I fix them to not affect the care that I give? It's always there in healthcare. It's always been there. You can look at statistics, which race or economic status is more likely to die in the exact same situations. And why is that? Um, And it has just been really eye opening actually being a nurse because I think healthcare is one of the biggest places that you see it and you don't think you should see it there. Okay. Third thing. I think this is just a little bit more of a standard one. It's just kind of goes back with that black and white and gray area. You are taught the way to do things in nursing school. You get to the floor you get to the, whatever department you're in, out the door. Yeah. It's not that people are doing things incorrectly. It's still done appropriately. It's done in the way that you're taught, just not the way you ever saw it. Like it's, it's not done. Way. Yeah, it's very personalized. And it's okay to start carving that out for yourself right away because it just makes your life adjusting to being a nurse so much easier especially when you're dealing with like, you're not going to be on your own right away. You're going to have an orient, somebody who's orienting you. You're going to have a preceptor and they might have a totally different way of doing things or a totally different way of teaching. And you want to take that, find what you like and go with it. Um, and be okay to say like, Hey, great. I'm going to try this. And as long as it's still safe and still within what's appropriate, what's set out, then that's what I'm going to go with. Like, I want you to tell me if I'm going to, like, if it's not safe or if it's something like that, but I need to figure it out on my own. Yeah. There are lots of different ways. I mean, the one thing that comes to mind is like, there's lots of different ways to set up how to do an IV. But as long as you're staying safe and you're not introducing any harm to the patient or yourself and you're following best practice, you know, you're going to vary a little bit on your steps and your, and how you approach it. Yeah. And I think being, knowing yourself well enough and knowing what works for you or what you think might work for you is always worth standing up for. 
Well, I think we've made it to the end of our conversation and our list of questions. I'm so thankful that you took the time out of your day to come and talk with me. Yeah, thank you. I'll talk to you later, Maddie. All right, thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for joining me today, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Maddie. Join me next time when we talk with Caitlin about relationships and self-renewal. She's a mental health nurse that will give us a lot of insight into this area. Until next time.